Blog Talk Radio. Morning, and thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We have a very um, interesting show today. It's uh, a rather serious one. Um, a lot of our shows are, but uh, this one is uh, uh, kind of um, startling to me. I guess I never paid that much attention to it until I started doing research for the show and uh, was appalled at some of the things that I found. We're talking about child brides all around the world today, and we have a special guest with a guest with us. Um, it is Dr. Susan Petroni. She's a Senior Director for Gender, Population, and Development in the ICRW, which is the Institute for, uh, well, help me out with this, Susan. What's, what is the acronym for? It's the International Center for Research on Women. Yes. A tremendous resource, by the way, uh, if you go to their website. So she has worked with the U.S. government. She's worked with nonprofit sectors. She um, has a real solid background in um, uh, gender, public policy, international relations. She is an a- academic, and uh, she is with us today to talk about some of the issues of child brides. Welcome very, uh, very much. May I call you Suzanne or Dr. Petroni? Uh, Suzanne is great. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, Suzanne. What what is child? What are child brides? I mean, I don't don't think I've ever really paid that much attention. Sure. So, um, child marriage is is a term that's used to describe a union, a legal or customary union between two people, at least one of whom uh, is under the age of 18, and there are at this point about 70 million child brides around the world. It's a a very prevalent practice, child marriage, uh, in many countries in every region of the world. And uh, it has a a range of negative consequences for girls and for communities that I'm uh, I'm pleased that we'll have a chance to discuss today because they have implications for all of us and we, we should really understand the practice and what we can do to stop it. Well, one of the appalling things that I found was how very young. I mean, it's one thing, you know, if somebody gets married at 16, you know, it's not unheard of, you know, uh, it, it happens. Not ideal, but it happens. But some of these girls are, you know, as young as five years old and eight years old, and there's a lot of deaths because of it. I mean, physically they're not ready to uh, um, have a um, uh, sexual relationship. A lot of them die in childbirth, again, because their bodies just aren't ready to take on that particular task. Um, one of the stories that I read was um, uh, about uh, in Yemen, I guess it was. They actually had a, a mass marriage and uh, for this man's three daughters, and of course he made the decision. The daughters didn't know anything about it. And the girls were 11 years old, um, uh, 9 years old, and 5 years old. And they were married off. They actually had to wake up the little five-year-old from a nap um, and, and, uh, so she could be in the ceremony. I, how, I mean, what, are, yeah, what the I'm, heck are they thinking? Um, I mean, what you just cited are certainly some of the most egregious examples and some of the most outrageous uh, examples that we have of, of child marriage. But it's important to remember that the international community has, has defined childhood as up to 18 um, and, and so while you have, unfortunately, far too many of these girls who are married before 15, and we know from the evidence that one in nine girls is married before the age of 15 in the developing world, uh, those girls who are 16 and 17 are, are still legally children, and laws in 150-something countries uh, actually ban their marriage before the age of 18. The fact is it's still happening, um, and they are still vulnerable to a range of, of negative outcomes uh, related to their health, related to violence, related to their education and, uh, and their human rights. So while these very young girls are certainly at tremendously high risk of uh, early pregnancy and for sex and 
intimate violence from their their husband, their spouse. Um, they're taken out of schools before they've been able to get an education. They're taken away from their peers and their friends and their families um, and really haven't had a chance to develop. Uh, we need to also pay attention to those 15, 16, 17-year-old girls who are in similar situations. Yeah, I didn't mean to imply that that was acceptable, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's heard of more frequently, uh, even sure. in this country. Um, so one in nine girls in this world will be married before the age of 15. Uh, it's astounding. Yeah, across, across the developing world and, you know, in the least developed countries, it's, it's even higher. And there is an association here between uh, prevalence rates of child marriage and poverty. And that's something that we really want to, uh, to help understand and underscore, that in poor countries and in poor regions of poor countries, uh, the inequalities that exist around, around gender are even greater. Um, families don't necessarily see opportunities for their girls to grow up and be able to contribute economically to the family or to the community. And so one of the only options that, that becomes available for adolescent girls is marriage. And, you know, it's also important to note that in many cases, the family, the parents are probably doing the best that they can for the girl. So in many cases, they're not maliciously uh, selling this girl off into a marriage. They may not be able to uh, have the resources at hand to feed her or to clothe her or educate her, and so they may think that she'd be better off married to a man who can provide that. Uh, so, you know, one of, one of the keys here is really the importance of alleviating that extreme poverty so that families don't feel like that's their only option for their daughters. Yeah. Well, not only poverty, but is there a religious tie-in, a spiritual tie-in to uh, this being accepted in some countries? Uh, you know, some religious beliefs and, and practices have certainly perpetuated the practice of child marriage, but it's important to note that there is no single religion that's associated with child marriage. I mean, you see it in countries where uh, the religion is predominantly Muslim or Hindu or Christian. Uh, it takes place not only in, in South Asia, uh, India and Bangladesh, which have very high total numbers of uh, married adolescents, but also in countries in Africa that are uh, Christian or countries in Latin America that are predominantly Catholic. Um, and, you know, religion and, and culture are sometimes used as a, a veil behind which to couch these violations of human rights that, that is child marriage. Um, but there are also some fantastic religious leaders out there who have played an important role in, uh, in identifying the need to address and, and change these practices. So they're wow. using Suzanne, their leadership a, to promote change. We have a caller, Suzanne. Let's, let's go to our caller. Are you there, caller? Hello? Are you there, caller? Well, I guess we don't have a caller. <laughs> but we'll we'll come back. She's she's in the queue, so we'll come back uh to that. Um you were talking about uh we've been talking a lot about um some of the Middle Eastern countries, Africa, but it happens in the United States too. Um I certainly not routinely, I don't think, but in some of the research that I pulled up, there were um several cases um of religious cults where the cult leader uh, would marry many, many young girls um, in like a spiritual marriage uh, is what they would call it since they couldn't actually have a, a legal marriage. But um, in that uh, cult, they would the leader would take on a number of young girls, I mean really, really young girls. So um, it happens here too. It happens in the United States, which uh, was kind of a Indeed. shock to me. Yeah, I mean, certainly the, the prevalence rates aren't as high as you see in, in some of the developing countries we've been discussing, but absolutely in the U.S., in the U.K., and other uh, in countries in Europe, uh, industrialized countries, it does happen. And, you know, we in the, Uni the United States are uh, 
not immune. Uh, we are one of the tiny handful of countries that has not yet ratified the Convention on the Rights of the Child or the Convention on the Elimination of, of Discrimination Against Women. And perhaps if we had uh, put these treaties forward that uh, 150 or so other countries have signed and uh, have agreed to ban the ch uh, practice of child marriage uh, because it's a human rights violation, we could hold ourselves more accountable. But uh, yeah, there are 158 countries that have laws that establish a minimum age of, of marriage at 18, but in 146 of those, state law or customary law allow girls under the age of 18 to marry with the consent of parents or authorities. And that is the case in many of our states within the US. So we are certainly not immune. I also want to note that the United Kingdom has recognized this issue of, of child early enforced marriage as one that they want to address. And they are hosting a summit next week in London called the Girls Summit that is tackling this issue. Um, and it's looking at it not just through an international lens and looking at UK's foreign aid, but also domestically within the UK. They recognize that this is happening and they want to they want to uh, address it. So uh, folks can find out more if you look at Girls Summit. Um, I think there's a hashtag, Girls Summit, uh, and okay. folks can find more on Twitter about it. OK. Let's try our caller again. Are you there, caller? Hello. I'm at the really poor reception. Yeah, <laughs> We're you sound like you're using a tin can to call us. So, <laughs> if there, if there's another phone that you could use, um, that would be great. Okay. Um, okay. Thanks. There. We're gonna try try to get a better phone for her. Sometimes the cell phone receptions uh, are are not that great, um, and uh, you know sometimes. You have to find a different spot to stand in or <laughs> a different position. I always say that my cell phone only works at home if I'm hanging by my toes over my deck rail. Um, you know, <laughs> so sometimes that, that, that happens. So, Suzanne, um, I actually got an email from Rita Henley Jensen, who, as you know, is the founder and uh, uh, editor of um, Women's E News, again, a tremendous resource on uh, international uh, women's issues, um, as well as the U.S. And um, she actually forwarded a report that is kind of new to me. It was uh, just came out, and it's by the American Jewish World Service, and it's about child brides in uh, India, specifically in India. And, of course, we've read a lot about uh, India. We've read a lot about um, Yemen and uh, several countries in that region and child brides. This particular study uh, goes into some of the uh, reasons for the um, uh, early marriage you know, and I was asking about religion. We talked about economic insecurity, um, but we also talked about la or the study also brings out uh, labor that um, a lot of the, the work done in these third world countries is done by women and girls. Um, so they need these uh, young people, um, the young girls they use to uh, tend to cattle or uh, run households and um, it's actually a labor issue as well as an economic one. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly the, the case in, um, in many countries. And again, you know, the situation is going to be different country by country, region by region, community by community in terms of what's driving the practice and also what, what can be done to stop the practice. Um, certainly in many developing countries, girls are the ones who are, as you say, tending the farms and, uh, and the animals and preparing the meals. Um, and at heart, this gets to an issue of gender inequality because society is placing a lower value on girls' opportunities outside the home. And in many communities, they are seen as valuable as wives and as mothers and not as educated, uh, engaged participants in their communities. So that's certainly something that, that we know uh, is a, a challenge for many reasons, not, not simply uh, for 
the, the question of uh, child marriage, it gets to their basic human rights, how girls are viewed in society, and it's a global development uh, issue as well because we know that when girls are more better educated uh, and have more opportunities outside the home, they contribute more to society. They are healthier. Their families are healthier. They, they have children later in life and tend to have fewer children that they can take care of. Um, and again, their children in turn are healthier and, uh, and are able to contribute more. So really, at heart, we're talking about poverty, inequality, and, and the way that girls are viewed and women are viewed in society as being critical in solving this problem. Yeah. One of the other um, uh, reasons for child brides mentioned in this particular study is honor and control. And what the study says is that families that usually are run by a patriarch who is responsible, or at least they think is responsible, uh, for the um, honor of the family. And if the if they marry the child before she has a chance to um, go outside the family, perhaps be molested or raped or um, just vulnerable, then the patriarch feels like he's secured the the daughter. Um, is that? Uh, also, uh, yeah, and, and again, this, this, it gets to that, that point that I mentioned earlier that in a lot of cases parents think they're doing the right thing, but in reality by uh, perpetuating this, this perception that girls who are unmarried are uh, more apt to, to be uh, sexually violated um, and harassed, and it is true, and again this gets to the issue about gender inequality and girls around the world face tremendously high rates of violence and sexual harassment. Um, but what the parents may not realize is that by marrying off their daughter to someone who tends to be much older, who tends to have more sexual experience than the girl, by not giving the girl time to develop her own ability to communicate and learn negotiation skills, um, they are putting her in a situation where essentially she is at risk of being a slave, if you will, uh, to her husband and in some cases the, the in-laws. Um, girls who are married young are actually at higher risk of unintended pregnancies, of early pregnancies that put their health at risk, of sexually transmitted infections including HIV AIDS, again, because they tend to marry husbands who are older and more sexually experienced and they don't have the skills to negotiate when to have sex, for example, or to use a condom. Um, and they're at much greater risk of, of violence. Um, some of the work that, that my organization has done in India as well found that girls who were married before the age of 18 were twice as likely to report being beaten or threatened by their husbands as girls who married later. Uh, and you see this wow. in, in study after study. Yeah. Let's try our so, caller again, know, so then. Okay. Okay. Caller, are you there? Hello, caller. No. Oh, <laughs> I know this person wants to uh, talk to us because keep trying. She, um, yeah. she keeps calling. It's the same number. So hopefully we can make that connection. So okay. So there's a number of reasons um, or causes, I guess, for early marriage. Um, and, and you summed those up very, uh, very, very well. But there's also uh, related issues. I mean, how does this relate to trafficking? Um, so, you know, trafficking, again, is a very complex issue. And indeed, uh, women and girls, and men and boys, for that matter, are, are often induced by force or by fraud or by coercion uh, to, to move to become... Uh, domestic helpers or sweatshop workers or uh, sex workers, um, farmhands, and in many cases, uh, wives as well. We don't know uh, really what the extent of the connection between trafficking and child marriage is, um, but it certainly is a, a tremendous risk, again, in the poorest countries. And you look at the, the example that the world has been paying attention to for, wow, almost three months now, 
um, in northern Nigeria with the, the girls, more than uh, 300 girls kidnapped uh, by Boko Haram. And we imagine and we have intelligence that suggests that many of these girls uh, are indeed now child brides um, and forced into uh, a situation that certainly they didn't plan when they got up to go to school that day. Um, so, you know, there are everyday situations where, where this happens. Um, think about it. Every year there are 14.2 million girls under the age of 18 who were married um, in, in most cases against their will. That's 39,000 a day. And so we hear Amazing. about these cases, like the, like the school girls in northern Nigeria, and it's outrageous and it draws your attention. But we really need to do something about the fact that every day, a uh, hundred times that many are are forced into marriage. Amazing! It's amazing to me. Um, and it I, I do want to, wanna, if I can. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sure. No, go ahead. You're you're good. You're the expert. <laughs> Okay, well, you know, we, we're talking about the, the causes of child marriage and the drivers and, and some of the negative consequences. I do want to make the point that there are actually some solutions uh, to ending child marriage. And uh, if you go to our website, icrw.org, uh, you'll find a paper that we did called Solutions to End Child Marriage. We've got a long paper as well as a short one that, that folks can look at for, uh, for some top-line information. Um, but we looked at and we're going to get to those solutions around. before the the show is over. But I wanted to just cover some of the uh, the background okay. before we start working on solutions. We're going to try our caller sure. again. <laughs> this poor person. Caller, are you there? Caller, are you there? No, for some reason, this just is not working. Um, I apologize, Bad. caller. Um, I have a feeling I know who it is as well, and so that's terrible because she knows a lot about this topic. Okay, so um, we've talked about um, the, the, some of the reasons behind um, child brides and child marriage, early marriage. Um, is this a, um, a cultural thing only? Um, you know, it seems to me like when I hear about child brides, even in the United States, it has to do a lot with um, the culture, you know, the, the culture that the person is growing up in. Um, do, is that a, a horrible generalization that I'm making, or is that accurate? No, I, you know, just like with religion, um, as we talked about, there are certainly some beliefs, cultural beliefs and practices that, that can perpetuate uh, this practice, but there's, like with religion, there's no one cultural situation uh, that that mandates child marriage. And you know, it's important to recognize that culture culture is constituted by people, and people can change, and therefore cultures can change. And we've seen this with so many examples in history, with with foot binding in China, uh, with female genital mutilation in in Senegal and Egypt, where uh, individuals can recognize that this practice is causing harm. It's causing a violation of human rights. It's causing challenges to the development of their communities. And those people change the culture. So you know, culture, it can be a, a powerful force for good and for bad. And we would like to think of it as a powerful force to help promote rights and empowerment of girls and, and want to take advantage of that potential. Okay. I've got to bring up uh, this situation because it's been in the news. Um, this is, um, happened in Yemen, and again, this is one of those uh, examples. Um, this came out, I guess, a couple of months ago, uh, where an eight-year-old girl in Yemen was, died from hemorrhaging after um, her wedding night. Physically, these young girls, uh, physically... At what age do most women mature enough where they can have a healthy sex life and healthy childbearing? Um, so, you know, this is, it, there's, there's no one specific age at which a light turns on and you are healthy and can bear children, um, particularly in some of the cl countries and contexts in which we're, we're talking about. 
where the health systems are not uh, appropriately equipped in many cases to uh, handle a difficult pregnancy no matter what the age is. Um, what we do know is that girls under the age of 15 account for about 2 million births to adolescents, um, births every year. Um, the thing that people think about, in this country at least, uh, often with teen pregnancy uh, is that it happens to unmarried girls. And the fact is that 90% of births in the developing world to adolescents take place within marriage. Um, and in terms of what the harm is to the individual girl, girls under the age of 15 are at least twice as likely to die as a result of pregnancy and childbirth as older girls are. And girls between 15 and 19 die of maternal-related causes. Um, it's consistently one of the highest causes of mortality among this age in the world. So, you know, the, the rates of death certainly from pregnancy and childbirth under the age of 18 are higher than for girls over the age of 18, but there are other risks as well, because if a girl's body is not physically developed enough to, uh, to carry a pregnancy, she's at great risk of obstetric fistula, which is a horrific and debilitating condition that can uh, leave the girl leaking urine and feces and uh, stigmatized girls uh, often with this condition are uh, tossed out of their home and in some cases their communities. And so this is a very real risk of early pregnancy. Uh, and then the, the example that you gave of very young girls uh, who, whose bodies just cannot handle the act of sex and uh, it causes significant harm not just physically, but emotionally and mentally as well. Yeah. Um, I, it's horrifying to me. It's absolutely horrifying that this is a, a relatively common practice around the world. And, um, like, you know, is there anything I can do about this? Um, yeah. We so, so um, I think talking about it, as we're doing today, and helping to spread the word, about these challenges is important. Importantly for those of us in the United States and other countries who uh, provide foreign assistance to the countries that we're talking about, we need to stress the importance of highlighting the needs of adolescent girls. Uh, and, and one important thing is to note is not just girls who are at risk of being married, but those girls who are already married. As I noted, we have 70 million girls currently under the age of 18 who are married and we need to ensure that they have access to education and to skills and to livelihoods training and to basic information about their rights as well. Um, and we can talk about uh, a couple of the programs that have worked with married adolescent girls to, to toward that end. But in terms of those of us who uh, are in countries that provide foreign assistance, write to your congressperson, write letters to the editor, uh, try to encourage the United States to prioritize adolescent girls and ending child marriage within our foreign assistance and our foreign policy. Uh, so that's certainly something we can do. You can, you can go on social media, you can uh, participate in a Twitter campaign called Lead for Girls, Lead with the number four girls, uh, and send messages to the State Department, to John Kerry, to the U.S. Agency for International Development, and ask them to prioritize these issues. Uh, we can call for the Senate to ratify the, uh, the Convention on the Rights of the Child and the Convention on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women. It's really a travesty that we are in this tiny handful of countries with Somalia and Sudan uh, who have not yet ratified these treaties. So those are, those are a few things. And of course, you can learn more through our website uh, or a coalition of organizations called Girls Not Brides, of which ICRW is a, a co-lead in the United States. Uh, but it's a global network of organizations that are trying to tackle this issue. Yeah. One more time, I'm going to try our caller, and we'll see if we can get through. Um, 
Let's see. Caller, are you there? Yes, this is Rita. Oh, hi, Rita. Finally, thank you for being so persistent. (laughs) Well, well, Rita, this is Rita Henley Jensen, as I mentioned, who uh, was kind enough to forward me the uh, analysis of early marriage that I've been getting some of my information from. Thank you for joining us, Rita. Well, I'm delighted, and Dr. Suzanne, I guess I'll call you, Um, I really enjoyed hearing all that you had to say. Uh, I guess... It's it's hard for those of us who know women's issues, like the three of us, to begin to like, okay, what part of this is violence-driven, right, that it's okay to rape an eight-year-old or whatever? Uh, what part of this is poverty-driven? And moreover, other than the risk of death uh, and other... Um, consequences to the girl, what about her lost productivity as an uh, adult who might have actually gone to college or high school at least and produced a different kind of benefit to the society and her family? So, boy, I know that's a big question, but <laughs> it's that, help us that, where do we write the letter on all of these? We can't do that, but so help us out here. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an important point. Yeah, the um, I mean, the loss to education um, is is significant, and I think there's there's been quite a bit of work to try to understand uh, the connections between child marriage, early pregnancy, and girls' education. And, and my organization is undertaking a few of those studies now. Um, in terms of the economic costs, we're about to launch a study in partnership with the World Bank that looks at the economic costs, uh, not just at a local level, but at the national level in, uh, across various countries of child marriage. So you know, by taking a girl out of school and not allowing her to develop the skills that she needs to uh, not only thrive as an individual, but also contribute economically to her community, uh, what, does, what do those costs entail? By having her forced into marriage and in, in very likely early pregnancy, the health risks that we were just talking about also contribute economically to losses in the community and to a country through the healthcare system. So what are those costs? So we're, we're just undertaking uh, this research now and uh, hope that if, if countries and leaders don't understand the human rights aspect of this or the development aspect of it, maybe the dollar figures will help them understand and stop the practice. What about the violence issue? um, The threat of violence, I'm sorry, this is Rita again. The threat of violence is one of the motivators, right? So we have to protect our girls from rape, from violation, from sexual harassment. And as you mentioned, a local leader might in fact feel the job is done, that he's protected the owner by marrying an eight or nine-year-old girl. And I think also the... The report that you and, and, and I, have, Heather, um, referred to is that it talks about accepting the sexuality of teenagers and, ha- and putting the obligation to, and the respect in the community for whatever they're dealing with. Uh, and it's difficult, as we all know, for teenagers to manage their sexuality. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, on the question of violence, you know, I, I mentioned one statistic from our study in India about about physical violence within marriage and how girls who are married before 18 are twice as likely to report uh, being beaten or, or hit by their spouse. But absolutely, this question of it, it, it's okay to have sex once you're married is... If it's a 10-year-old girl, I mean, it's, it is an outrage and it's a violation of human rights and we cannot uh, let ourselves um, or, or our fellow uh, community members get away with saying that if it happens within marriage, it's okay. Uh, so, you know, certainly reminding countries at the national level of the commitments that they've made when they signed the Convention on the Rights of the Child, 
or, or CEDA or the Universal Declaration of Human Rights for that matter, um, those, are, those are important to hold them to account. But also working at the community level and helping community leaders and parents understand that this is not a safe and protective environment, uh, the, the institution of marriage, if, if she is still a girl. Um, that can help their attitudes and behaviors shift. And uh, some of the, the work that we've done on understanding what works to prevent the practice shows that family and community elders who are, who are traditionally responsible for deciding when and whom a girl marries, if you educate them uh, about how this marriage, her, uh, child marriage impacts her health and her future, it can help spark change at the community level. Well, uh, thank you uh, for your work. This is Rita. Bye. Okay. Thank Bye. you, Rita. Thanks for thanks for calling in, Rita. Right. Bye. 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 Um, good questions, uh, I think, and a good answer too, Suzanne. Thank you for that. Um, one of the things that I wanted to know is, and I think we touched on it a little bit, um, what's the relationship between uh, child brides, child marriage, and domestic violence? Yeah, I mean, it is it is significant, and um, again, I, I gave the example from one study. Um, there's another one that we recently conducted in uh, Bangladesh that uh, showed the prevalence of violence within married uh, adolescents who are married is uh, quite high, but also the perception of what is okay in terms of violence um, is is high, that is, Adolescent girls who are married have a higher acceptance level for domestic violence than those who are married after the age of 18. Um, so it, it definitely happens, physical violence, sexual violence. The extent of it is uh, I'm sure we have only scratched the surface in terms of how often it happens. Um, but the fact is, again, if a girl is under the age of 18 and the legal age of marriage is 18, um, she is effectively being forced to have sex uh, against her will. I do also want and to mention the Bangladesh study, and I, I just wanted to throw out one interesting finding from that study. So we, we uh, interviewed more than 300 girls in uh, four slums in Dhaka, Bangladesh. They're all married. Um, 15 to 19 years old, and when we asked them their age of marriage, but then their ideal age of marriage, there was a, a marked difference. So the girls in our study, on average, uh, were married at 15, 15 years and two months. When we asked them what is the ideal age of marriage, they said 18. So uh. they themselves you know, know that there's, uh, they're not in an ideal situation. Um, and then when we talk to them about what happens in their relationship, uh, you know, they, they said that 30% uh, of them say that the husband is justified in beating the, his wife if she goes out and doesn't tell him. 30% said that's okay, he can beat her. If she doesn't take mm. care of the house, 35% said it's okay for the husband to beat the wife. Um, oh, my. It's... It, yeah, if she shows disrespect to her in-laws, 55% of them said that the husband can beat the wife. So it's it's really important, again, to look at the the ability of these girls to understand that they have rights, to understand that they shouldn't be beaten, with, even though it's their husband. Um, and the girls, you know, some of them, when we talked to them, reported... It, as you might expect. I mean, they're saddened to be in this situation. Uh, one of them said, I was fated for suffering. I don't see any positive sides in my fate. Um, only one out of uh, many of the girls that we talked to said, uh, I'm happy in the marriage, and he listens to everything I say. He brings me whatever I want. Uh, but more, very much uh, more frequently, you heard things like, um, you know, he has to make all the decisions, and I'm in a prison. I can't get out of it. There's heartache in my life. Now, again, you know, I, we're throwing out all these ne negatives and these horrible stories, 
and I do want to get to uh, some of the programs that have been shown to work not only to prevent child marriage, but also to help married girls live better lives. Okay. So. Um, Suzanne, I'm, <laughs> I don't know whether this is a glitch in the system or whether Rita is calling in again, but let's check, okay? Oh, hi, Rita, are you there? Yeah, hi, this is Rita. I called back. Oh, good. Uh, because I wanted to hear the rest of the program. I, I didn't think I pressed one. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, but I, I, will, I think it's, I, yes, I think it's great to hear more about the uh, the initiatives uh, and what they're addressing. So hang up on me. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I will put you off air and enjoy the rest of the show, Rita. Okay, bye. Okay, there we go. Um Obviously, this is an issue that Rita is very interested in, as, as I think should we all be. We all should be. There we go. <laughs> um, sometimes my grammar slips on me. I'm sorry about that. Um, to all of us. <laughs> what are, we talked about some of the things we could do as individuals, but you just mentioned a topic that you wanted to talk more about. Yeah, so, so in terms of what we can do programmatically, um, mm-hmm. to, one, prevent child marriage, and, and two, um, help meet the needs of those who are already married. Um, so I, I mentioned earlier the solutions to end childbirth that, that ICRW, my organization, did, and we looked at uh, studies from around the world that evaluated programs that somehow had, a, had an aim of ending child marriage and um, there were several key themes that came up in terms of what has been shown to work. I mentioned one already, which is educating and rallying parents and community members um, just by virtue of talking with those families and those community leaders about the impacts of child marriage and how it impacts a girl and her health and her future and the community for that matter. Uh, We have seen programs creating change and and change that has ripple effects. Um, Another one of the strategies that we've seen used, and this is probably one of the strongest strategies, is to empower girls themselves with information, with skills, with support networks. Just the act of bringing girls together, uh, learning how to communicate with each other, how to negotiate, how to stay healthy, uh, during during their reproductive years, how to work together to, to solve problems, uh, meeting with mentors and showing them role models can help them understand that there are options for them, that they have they have a value in soci- a society that goes beyond their role as a wife and a mother, um, and, and it can help them to advocate for themselves and make decisions that uh, that may not include marriage or may include marriage at a later time. A, a third strategy that we've seen is providing economic support and incentives to girls or to their families. And you know, again, we talked about poverty being such a, an important driver of child marriage. So if there are ways to uh, to enhance the economic security, of particularly poor households, giving them a loan or an opportunity to gain an income-generating skill, uh, conditional cash transfer to keep the girl in school and unmarried, that can show the family and the daughters that that she has value beyond that role as a wife. Um, And then two final strategies that we've seen, one is related to this one, giving girl access to education. Um, so girls who have no education are three times as likely to marry before the age of 18 as those who've, who have at least some secondary education. So helping them to, to stay in school, whether it's giving them uniforms or scholarships or, or skills and support to stay in school, uh, will help them to become uh, not only better educated, but to give them an alternative to marriage. And then finally, um, this is, it's an important um, in its own right, but um, it needs to be supplemented, is, um, is encouraging supportive laws and policies. So again, we've talked about the fact that I think 158 countries now establish a legal age of marriage at 18, 
but making sure that these laws are implemented and raising awareness among government leaders and community leaders of these laws can help to, to strengthen the enforcement of the laws. So those are, those are just some of what we've learned, and uh, the U.S. government and other governments are supporting some initiatives through our foreign assistance that are directed toward implementing some of these, uh, these programs. And then the other, the other thing I wanted to talk about was, again, meeting the needs of those girls who are already married. So the, the 70 million girls who are currently married, again, they're, they're probably among the most marginalized and vulnerable because they've been taken away from schools, away from their families, away from their peers and any social networks, and they're very often isolated living in the home of their husband or their in-laws. So simply giving them access to... Uh, some form of education, peer groups, uh, networks that can enhance their ability to um, establish uh, relationships and learn communication skills and negotiation skills. It, it helps not only them, but it helps their relationship as well. And we've got an example of a, a program in Amhara, Ethiopia, that has a very high prevalence rate of, of child marriage in this region, um, CARE, Ethiopia, uh, implemented a program specifically working with child brides, and ICRW evaluated it, and it showed a tremendous impact not only on the girls in terms of their own self-esteem and empowerment and uh, ability to learn skills and to uh, gain access to information and services that improve their sexual and reproductive health, uh, but also economically empower them. Um, and what we learned through this program that, that provided them with this education and these networks um, was that their skill, their own self-esteem and their skills and their empowerment improved, but their husbands um, also learned to value those young wives in a different way than before. And most of the girls reported that their relationships with their husbands had improved significantly. He gained more respect for her. He gained a greater understanding of what she could bring in terms of the value of being a more of an equal partner in their relationship. Um, and one of the unintended side effects, but wonderful side effects of this program, was that community members saw these girls who were in this program as gaining skills and gaining knowledge and value that was valuable to the community. And they realized that keeping girls in school and giving them other opportunities outside of marriage could help their communities develop. And as a result, the program helped to avert a number of marriages that were planned, uh, but the community members called those off marriages of girls because they realize this might not be the best thing for their daughters. Yeah. Um, it sounds like an overwhelming issue, um, an absolutely overwhelming issue, because it affects so many, um, so many cultures and so many um, different cultures, different beliefs, different economies. That uh, it, It's just an amazing um, thing to me that, your organization and so many organizations have the wherewithal to start tackling this issue. And, uh, of course, by doing this show, it's my hope that uh, more people understand what this issue is. And if you go on the Internet, if you, you know, just Google child brides, um, the, the, as you mentioned, uh, Suzanne, the uh, Girls Not Brides website has a lot of information. Your website, want to give that out, your website? Sure, uh, www.icrw.org, and Girls okay. Not Brides is, as you said, another resource that uh, is working globally with a number of local organizations around the world. Um, so you can, uh, if people want to know more about what's happening in Niger or Ethiopia or Bangladesh, you can go to that website and get connected with a local organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, of course, there's always money. Um, you know, if you can't do anything else, you can always give some money to some of these uh, organizations to help them do this work. Um, so basically what we're talking about here is uh, human rights, human uh, rights that um, are affecting this particular group, the young girls around our world. 
And um, I just, as I said, I'm appalled. The more and more research I did for this, the more appalled I was about um, this whole issue and how prevalent it is. So, um, you know, I... Yeah, I, it, I it does, um, it, it's, again, it's connected very much to, to the view of adolescent girls as, um, as being unequal. And, you know, there are some additional resources that I, that I want to um, throw out there. Uh, one is the Girl Effect. Uh, the Nike Foundation has sponsored um, a wonderful campaign to raise awareness about adolescent girls and the challenges that they face around the world. There's a girl declaration that many of us uh, who care about these issues have signed on to that you can find at thegirleffect.org. Uh, and it is, uh, it is a call for the international community to prioritize and highlight the needs and challenges of adolescent girls and the opportunities that they have and the potential that they have to make a positive difference in global development. Um, and particularly at this time, we're looking at uh, international negotiations around uh, the next development agenda, so a follow-on to the Millennium Development Goals that the global community agreed to in 2000 uh, is being negotiated right now at the UN, the post-2015 development framework, it's called. Um, and we and others are very keen to make sure that adolescent girls are recognized as, as central to global development as that, uh, that framework is uh, developed and agreed to over the next several months. Wow. Um, I was reading uh, an excerpt from uh, one of your report, one of your organization's reports, where um, the quote from the report is, the unique health, social, educational, and economic needs of married girls are underserved by existing child marriage programs. Is that um, you're, you're thinking still at this point, or do you think that there are enough organizations that they just need to be expanded? What, what's your feeling about what, how, how yeah. successful these programs are? Again, I think, you know, I think we absolutely need to, um, to invest in preventing child marriage, but at the same time, you know, recognizing uh, 70 million girls who are already married, they are, uh, again, highly vulnerable, and they don't typically get accessed by a lot of development programs. Um, so one example, and a very important example, is, uh, is their sexual and reproductive health. So we know that family planning is critical in helping women to achieve the desired number of children, whether and when and how many children to have. And for uh, five decades, the United States has been a supporter of international family planning, and it's something that a uh, vast majority of people in this country agree with that is important to do. But unfortunately, many of these programs, um, either that the United States supports or that others uh, support in developing countries, don't pay enough specific attention to the, the unique needs of adolescents, married or unmarried. Um, and, and so it's really critical to understand that there are adolescents who are sexually active and who need access to the information and the services that can help them uh, protect and, and promote their sexual health and their reproductive health. So one of, one of the points that we make when we talk about existing programs not really meeting the needs of those married adolescents is that in many countries, adolescents, even if they're married, um, really are challenged to access youth-friendly services, including family planning services. And, you know, again, if, if a girl is too young, uh, to bear children, that has negative implications for her and for her children. If she doesn't want to bear child after child after child, she should have access to family planning information and services that is non-discriminatory and that meets her needs. So that's just one example. Um, but again, we talked about education. We talked about basic livelihood skills uh, that married adolescents too often don't have access to and, and absolutely should. Yeah. So um, how much effort, you mentioned that the United States has not uh, ratified, I, I believe, a, a treaty or is it a UN 
um, yeah, so, so the Convention on the Rights of the Child and the Convention okay. on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women, um, they've been signed, but the Senate has yet to ratify them, and it's decades now that we've been waiting. Um, so those are certainly uh, uh, two treaties that would bring us into line with the vast majority of countries in the world who have committed to uh, equality for women and, uh, and promoting the rights of children. Uh, there's one other bill that, that we hope people will pay attention to um, that has uh, been introduced, the International Violence Against Women Act, uh, that folks can um, certainly call their congressperson or their, their senator and ask them to co-sponsor this. It would uh, be for the U.S. specifically to prioritize prevention of violence against women internationally and that includes uh, some good positive language around child marriage. I will say that the Domestic Violence Against Women Act that was passed early 2013 included some really good language that some of our congressional allies, uh, Senator Durbin and uh, Congresswoman McCollum and others had um, put in that was signed, and it had very good language about uh, developing a child marriage prevention strategy for the United States, both domestically and globally. The, the Secretary of State is responsible for developing and implementing and overseeing that, and we have yet to see that strategy. We are um, working with the State Department and USAID to make sure that the U.S. government uh, comes out with a robust approach to preventing child marriage and meeting the needs of married adolescents. So um, we, will, we will certainly keep an eye on that and um, know that they uh, will be committed and, uh, and will have a strong, robust, well-funded strategy to achieve that, those ends. And it sounds like it really needs to be a priority. And I question whether in this country at this time we recognize this issue as a priority for us. Yeah, you know, the... Folks at, um, at the State Department and the U.S. Agency for International Development um, have, have some wonderful documents and language and certainly say all the right things um, and, and I think are recognizing that this is a priority, that meeting the needs of adolescent girls broadly will have positive impacts on global development. Um, but again, we, we haven't seen the funding follow um, as robustly as we would like and we haven't seen a well-articulated strategy coming out from the administration that, that shows us that this really is a priority and a roadmap, really, for how the United States will advance these issues. Uh, there, there will be uh, U.S. representation at this Girls' Summit that I mentioned uh, that is being hosted by the U.K. government next uh, a week from, uh, from this week. I think it's July 22nd. Uh, so we are eagerly awaiting the words that, uh, that come out of the U.S. government representatives uh, at that meeting on July 22nd. Good, good. I will keep track of that um, for my own uh, personal information um, and see what happens yeah. there. You know, one of the things that we didn't talk about, and we're running out of time, um, is the role that men play in this. Um, we have to, part of this solution to this problem, I think, would be um, educating men and having men see this as a travesty and something that needs to be done. Uh, Suzanne, Absolutely. thank you so much for joining us okay. today. I really, really Thank you for, for prioritizing this issue. It's great to have uh, more attention to it. Oh, well, it, it definitely deserves it, and I hope sometime you'll be willing to come back and join us and give us an update on what's been happening. I usually end the Absolutely. show with a quote, and my, qu my quote today is from Wanjala Wafula from the Coexist Initiative. By getting men to reject the practices that subordinate women and girls and subject them to violence, we can get to the root of child marriage. I think that says it all. Um, we definitely yeah. have to have uh, both genders behind this issue because it is such a huge one. And um, I hope that uh, very shortly we'll be seeing some progress in this area. Um, again, uh, go to the I 
what's the, the acronym? ICW? ICRW, International Center I- for Research on Women. Okay, to learn more. Thank you, Suzanne. Join us next week. We'll tackle another topic on three women, three ways.